This is Robin. And this is Lauren. Welcome to the second episode of Why Aren't We Talking About This? In this podcast, we will look at the ongoing border tensions between Venezuela and Guyana and the impact on the health supply chains in the two countries. If there's one word that describes the Guyana Venezuela border conflict, it's oil. To many Americans, Guyana is remembered as the country that housed the death cult of Jim Jones and the Jonestown massacre in the 1970s. However, Guyana is growing in significance to the U.S. because of its newly discovered oil reserves and the worsening conditions in Venezuela. ExxonMobil began developing an oil block in offshore Guyana, which is expected to produce 750,000 barrels per day of oil in 2026. The new oil block overlaps contested waters with Venezuela, whose oil industry is crippled due to the multiple sanctions and failure to update their equipment. In early January 2021, Venezuelan president, who was internationally contested at this point, Nicolas Maduro, attempted to reestablish Venezuela's claim to the Esquibo region. This territory is rich in natural resources and serves to benefit Guyana's economy for decades to come. Seeking some lifeboat for his economy, President Maduro directed his Navy to seize a research vehicle in 2013. Then in January 2021, the Venezuelan Navy detained two Guyanese-registered fishing vessels and their crew in Guyana's exclusive economic zone. In response, Guyana deployed more troops along the Esquibo province border after agreement made with the United States of America to bolster its military capacity and Coast Guard capabilities. One thing to keep in mind is that Venezuela is currently facing one of the worst humanitarian and economic crises in the world. Because of its previous economic reliance in the oil, it is likely an underlying factor as to why this border dispute is re-emerging. The territorial dispute is currently before the International Court of Justice, which ruled it had jurisdiction over the boundary dispute. Maduro refuses to recognize international jurisdictions over this matter. The Guyana-Venezuela border dispute is complicated by both countries' economic situations. One nation, Guyana, with new oil discoveries and tons of potential for GDP growth, compared to Venezuela, who succumbed to the infamous oil curse by failing to diversify their economy. As we dive deeper into the border dispute, we will analyze the current and potential health crises exacerbated by the political and economic situation between Guyana and Venezuela. Now to give some background on the history of this conflict, Lauren, can you can you start us off? Yeah, so the Guyana and Venezuela border conflict dates back to 1899 before Guyana was even an independent nation. At that time, Guyana was a British colony, and Venezuela was a new state, recently declared independence from Spain. In 1899, a treaty of arbitration was concluded between the United Kingdom of New England and the United States of Venezuela. This treaty awarded approximately 61,600 miles of territory to the British colony that would eventually become Guyana, and also encompasses significant oil fields located offshore of the territory. When Guyana declared independence in 1966, the disputed land remained a large portion of the newly established nation. The territory known as Esquibo is nearly 60% of Guyana and encompasses all the land west of the Esquibo River. The territory itself is undeveloped and sparsely populated, but contains high amounts of valuable national resources such as gold and oil. There were limited issues with the arbitration until 1962 when Venezuela raised several complaints about the treaty. The main complaint stated that the treaty was a conspiracy by Britain and the United States to gain more land. 
1966 Geneva Convention attempted to rectify the situation by finding a compromise between Venezuela and the UK. Despite the convention, Venezuela continued to argue about the borderline. Tensions between the two nations grew as both sides basically accepted different boundary lines. The incentives for President Maduro to reestablish claims to the Skibo province are currently driven by the current Venezuelan economic crisis. The incentives for President Maduro to reestablish claims to the Skibo province are certainly driven by the current Venezuelan economic crisis. In 2018, the border conflict intensified when Venezuela approached and turned away an ExxonMobil oil research boat, chartered by the Guyanese government to explore the disputed territory. The move by Venezuela to turn away the boat re-sparked tensions between the two nations. The top court of the UN became involved in December of 2020, nearly 120 years after the start of the territorial dispute. The International Court of Justice heard arguments from Guyana on the jurisdiction of territory seized by Venezuela in 2018. Venezuela did not attend the court, and Venezuela President Nicolas Maduro instead issued the statement, quote, Very respectfully, we inform you that Venezuela did not accept the jurisdiction of the court. The Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela will not participate, end quote. As of December 18, 2020, the UN court ruled against Venezuela's objection to the 1899 Arbitral Award and agreed to view Guyana's claim to disputed land in court. Guyanese President Irfan Ali stated the ruling was, quote, a great moment indeed for Guyana, whose governments and people have been united in looking to international justice to uphold our territorial integrity, end quote. The UN will review the 1899 Arbitral Award later in 2021 and rule on the validity of the boundary placed by the tribunal. The ruling of the court will largely determine which nation has claims to the oil deposits located off the coast. A border conflict like this obviously has complicated political implications. Robin, can you kind of hit on that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So the political background of both Venezuela and Guyana is certainly complicated. But the reasons behind the recent flare-up and border tensions is likely due to the economic crisis in Venezuela. To better understand the recurring border tensions initiated by President Maduro, we should also look at the underlying economic conditions in Venezuela. At one point, the state was the richest in Latin America and sits on the largest oil reserves in the world. This basically gave Venezuela an absolute advantage in oil production. However, the downfall of this advantage was the reliance the state built up on a one-good economy. President Hugo Chavez was elected in 2013 and launched many expansive social programs consisting of anti-poverty initiatives, road constructions, and housing construction. Using its vast oil resources, Chavez planned to use the profits from this industry to pay for his new social programs. When oil prices surged in 2004, the influx of wealth unleashed more government spending, which only worsened Venezuela's oil dependency. Chavez continues spending billions on social welfare programs with no emphasis on local industry like fishing and other crops and instead focus only on oil exports. Chavez died in 2013 and he selected Vice President Nicolas Maduro to take his place until the next election could be held. Maduro narrowly won the election in April 2013 and the excessive spending and reliance on oil only worsened. Instead of curbing government spending, Maduro put most of his resources into protecting his own regime from outside threats. The most recent 2017 election was declared fraudulent by almost 50 countries and recognized Juan Guaido as the rightful leader, while most nations continue to support the Maduro government. Because the nation relied so heavily on imports for everyday goods, any decline in the price of oil led to massive devastation from food and medical shortages. 
Venezuela's failure to diversify its economy and curb its inflation rate led to extreme financial insecurity. One result of this increase in inflation is the Bolivar, the Venezuelan currency is now worth close to nothing internationally, leaving Venezuelans without any valuable money to buy imported goods. Venezuela's reliance on oil for financial security exacerbates President Maduro's need to turn to a decades-old border war for natural resources that would provide a more stable source of income for Venezuela, even at the expense of a war with Guyana. Comparatively to Venezuela's tenuous and rocky political situation, Guyana's economy and political system has slowly been improving since its independence. Guyana was proclaimed to be a cooperative republic within the Commonwealth, and Guyana's first unelected prime minister, Forbes Burnham, declared the government to be socialist. A new constitution was established in 1980, and Burnham's successor, Prime Minister Hugh Desmond Hoyt, redirected Guyana's economy by denouncing communism and made the country's first attempt to liberalize the economy. This marked a shift away from a socialist economic system for Guyana. Eventually, President Bharat Jakdeo of the People's Progressive Party, or the PPP, was appointed president when he helped settle another maritime boundary dispute between Guyana and Suriname. This boundary decision opened up the door for offshore oil exploration. The combination of government investment in agriculture, forestry, infrastructure, and oil exploration under Jagdeo helped diversify Guyana's economy. The 2015 discovery of rich oil fields changed the direction of Guyana's economy and the political implications for the country. On top of Guyana's complicated history with democracy and election fraud, oil profits raised the stake for the next political leader. Guyana's ethnic identity politics and diverse population exacerbated the tensions of the most recent election in July 2020. It was a contested election with several allegations of vote rigging and fraud. After nearly a month of recounts, the current president, Mohamed Irfan Ali, was sworn in on August 2, 2020. The current political systems in Venezuela and Guyana are far from perfect. Both governments are complicated by the oil industry and their socialist economic roots. Moving on, we're going to discuss more on the oil implications in this border dispute. Oil is both a blessing and a potential curse. As one of the hottest global resources, oil production and discovery can disrupt a nation's entire economy. It stands to reason that one of the main instigators behind the border conflict between Venezuela and Guyana is oil. Before ExxonMobil discovered oil off the coast of the disputed territory in 2015, Venezuelan and Guyanese governments were beginning to show signs of increased diplomacy and interactions. These two nations began trade agreements and spoke publicly about growing relations with each other. When the late president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, died in 2013, Guyanese Minister of Foreign Affairs stated that, quote, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that our relations with Venezuela under President Maduro would continue to flourish. End quote. However, once oil was found in 2015, relations between the two nations began to turn hostile. In fact, it was even before 2015 that Venezuela began expressing their disapproval and Guyanese government-sanctioned exploration for oil deposits that may exist off their coast. From 2013 to 2015, more than 10 incidents occurred between Venezuelan forces and oil ships chartered by Guyana. While no lives were lost, these incidents can be seen as a reflection of the attitude of Venezuelan politics toward Guyanese oil exploration. When ExxonMobil found oil in 2015, the situation seemed to push the Venezuelan government into a political frenzy. 
Not even seven days after ExxonMobil posted the announcements of its oil discovery, Venezuelan President Maduro released the, his decree 1787 titled the Atlantic Coast of Venezuela, in which he declared ownership over the disputed territory, including the waters that were currently granted to Guyana. This decree, in addition to the incidents that occurred off the coast prior to the oil discovery, had the larger purpose of trying to block Guyana's access to the area. When Venezuela decided to oppose the arbitral award after the oil discovery, the Guyanese government declared that President Maduro's decree, number 1787, was immoral and a corrupt coup by Venezuela to steal oil that rightfully belonged to Guyana. With all that said, the refugee and health crisis is pretty bad. Yeah, and I'd probably say so. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I, I think that Venezuela is documented for having one of the worst refugee crises in the world. The UN estimates that there's around 5.4 million re- Venezuela refugees who have fled their state's deteriorating situation. In addition to to that, there are over 800,000 asylum seekers and 2.5 million Venezuelans who sought legal forms of stay in the Americas rather than attempting to be registered as refugee. Since 2014, there has been an 8,000% increase in Venezuelans seeking UN refugee status. Estimates state that thousands of Venezuelans are unregistered and illegally living in neighboring countries. With limited rights, money, and protection, these unregistered refugees are in danger of falling prey to human trafficking and smuggling. Yeah, due to this worsening refugee crisis, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees provided over $260 million U.S. million of aid to neighboring countries, refugee centers, and to border agencies that help prevent human trafficking and smuggling. The UN is also working to increase refugee registration in nations that are strained by the large number of Venezuelan refugees, such as Peru, Brazil, Guyana, Ecuador, Aruba, Colombia, and Trinidad and Tobago. Guyana, as a nation, was slow to grow, but has a potentially bright future post-discovery of the offshore oil fields. However, the surface water quality is of particular concern to Guyanese citizens. The mining industry of gold, Bauxite and diamonds have led to extreme contamination of groundwater from poor regulation laws and few environmental restrictions enforced by the government. In addition, inadequate sewage systems contaminate the water every year during the rainy seasons due to flooding and overflow of the sewers into streams and lakes. However, with the revenue of oil fields beginning to flow into the state, uh, it's likely to believe that health statistics and standards of living will improve over the coming years. Due to significant health crises in Venezuela, millions of refugees fleeing the nation, and the hit of COVID-19, Venezuela's health system is struggling to support its citizens. Their health infrastructure was underfunded, under-resourced, and inadequate even before the COVID-19 virus hit. Hospitals were shutting down and unable to support even at half capacity. And in 2019, Venezuela had the steepest worldwide spike in malaria cases. The COVID-19 virus only worsened the health infrastructure with swaths of people getting sick quickly and limited health facilities unable to support the rise in illness. As of May 2021, Venezuela has been placed in a level four, very high risk category by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in regard to the COVID-19 virus. The country has a total of over 220,000 cases, a total of just under 2,500 deaths, and an average of around 1,000 new cases per day. These reported numbers are believed to be far under the actual value due to underreporting, lack of access to health facilities, and low testing rates. The most significant health crisis through Venezuela is lack of access and production to the COVID-19 vaccine. 
The slow process that Venezuela has made to vaccinate their population is extremely worrying, and it has gone to the point that Venezuela's Academy of Medicine has asked the United States of America to donate some of their COVID vaccines. The Venezuelan government entered the World Health Organization's Global Access Fund created to provide poorer nations with the COVID vaccine through the COVAX system. Their first payment of $64 million has been documented, though no second payment has been made as of yet. Venezuela received around a million of the Sputnik vaccine in April sent from Russia. And on May 24th, Venezuela claimed to have received more than 1 million doses of vaccine from China. This aid from China came just in time as the second wave of COVID-19 began to hit the nation. President Maduro stated that he hopes to have 70% of the population vaccinated by the end of August. Overall, I believe that the health situation in Guyana and Venezuela needs significant money and research put into it. In the next decade, they need to drastically improve their health infrastructure and the access to health care for their citizens. The United Nations is likely to continue aiding both of these countries so that they can get a step in the right direction in regards to health infrastructure. In addition, the U.S. is contributing significantly. Robin, do you want to hit on that a little bit? Yeah, so the U.S. diplomatic and military involvement with both of these nations is complex. And arguably the U.S. supports Guyana's political situation more than Venezuela's. In a statement by the Acting Assistant Secretary of the Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs, Julie Chung wrote, quote, The U.S. supports a peaceful resolution of the maritime boundary controversy between Venezuela and Guyana and condemns Maduro's intimidation through the seizure of fishing vessels and detention of crews, end quote. This U.S. position was backed by military support to Guyana to protect the peace and security of not just Guyana, but the entire region. U.S. Navy Admiral Craig Fowler, commander of the U.S. South Southern Command in Doral, visited Guyana for several days. He met with government and defense leaders and discussed the bilateral security partnership between the U.S. and Guyana. In addition, the Guyanese and U.S. military conducted a military training operation in the disputed region. On the Venezuelan side, the Trump administration imposed targeted sanctions on 109 Venezuelans, including the director of the central bank. The U.S. sanctions essentially prevented American allies from buying Venezuelan oil while Maduro is still in power. The Biden administration, however, is taking a different approach entirely to sanctions, citing how they were ineffective at convincing Maduro to step down. In a White House briefing, Biden officials explained that Biden was, quote, the first Democratic candidate to actually recognize Juan Guaido as the legitimate leader of Venezuela, and has been very clear that Nicolas Maduro is a dictator, and that the May 2018 elections were fraudulent and illegitimate. The U.S. position on the border dispute seems to clearly favor Guyana, especially with new oil relationships and the ExxonMobil partnership blooming. If Maduro were to step down, the U.S. would likely seek to rebuild their relationship with Venezuela. All of this said, the U.S. diplomatic relationships with Venezuela are tenuous, and their relationships with Guyana are improving, especially with the found oil. The U.S. relationships is, does not account for any neighboring conflicts in the region. So, Lauren, can you tell me a little bit more about things going on beyond Venezuela and Guyana's borders? Yeah, Venezuela has a lot of different border disputes. A slightly better known one is the conflict between Venezuela and Colombia. The Catatumbo, a border area north of Cacuta, Colombia, has been involved in an incredibly dangerous and violent battle for territory between the National Liberation Army and the Popular Liberation Army since 2018. 
The UN estimates that the War of Catatumba has displaced approximately 40,000 Colombians from their home, and homicide rates have spiked since 2018. The armed conflict continues to threaten the safety of everyday civilians as kidnappings and disappearances are extremely common throughout the area. Perhaps one of the most disturbing aspects of the war is the recruitment of boys as young as 12 years old. It is not uncommon for children to be kidnapped because of this. Facing forceful and often violent recruitment of young boys by the armed forces, families like to flee the area in order to save their children from the war effort. However, Venezuelan refugees do not always have that ability, the money, or the protection to flee the area. Venezuelan refugees have been caught in the middle of this war and have become victims of war crimes committed by both sides. The estimated amount of human trafficking, rape, sexual assault, murder, and many more human rights crimes is staggering, with an estimated 25,000 Venezuelan refugees believed to be located in the Catatumbo region. The UN worries for the safety and protection of these refugees. Yeah, I mean, just think about the fact that if you're not registered, and if it's not your home, and you kind of living there illegally, your rights are minimal. And you have very little connections and networking to be able to protect you from that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention the lack of money, food, just basic securities that these refugees lack. It's certainly something that the UN is really, really um, thinking about and trying to find ways around and provide money, uh, but without getting involved with corrupt policies and companies and things like that. Yeah, these border conflicts on all ends of Venezuela are just... Yeah, I mean, it's very complicated. and I think that the Venezuela-Guyana border dispute is no, ba- no doubt complicated by several external factors, from socialist economic roots to political fraud. Both nations recognize that the Skibo region offers promising natural resources for economic growth and trade. Historical ties to the territory and oil implications are likely to sway the international community as to who rightfully owns the territory. While oil has an immense potential to change a country's economic prospects, it's not always a good thing. Take, for example, Venezuela, whose petroleum reserves kickstarted its vast social programs to alleviate poverty at the beginning. No efforts were made for other exports to support government spending. The oil dependence ultimately hurt the Venezuelan economy and its people. With the growing industry in Guyana, the country must tread carefully to truly reap the financial benefits of oil without suffering the consequences like Venezuela currently is. The health crises in both nations was worsened by poor economic conditions and fraudulent elections. These situations, in addition to the rise of COVID-19 and the lack of access to health care, have significantly decreased civilian standard of living and life expectancy. As more vaccinations are distributed and produced, We hope that the infection rates will improve for Venezuela and Guyana, but the main problem is still going to be access. The citizens of these nations are the ones most affected by poor economic policies, sanctions, and unnecessary border feud, and they really just don't have access to testing sites, to vaccination sites, uh, and even just doctors and nurses. Yeah, that's a really good point. And with one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world, Venezuela similarly cannot afford to expel resources and government spending to fight a border dispute with Guyana. The hostilities reignited by Maduro will likely cause future issues in the region if the conflict is not handled carefully. We hope that the United Nations' decision on the border conflict coming in late 2021 will help end hostilities and allow both nations to invest in the health of their citizens rather than worry about potential border wars. These invisible borders have a cost beyond just a line in the sand, and millions of Venezuelans and Guyanese people pay the price for their governments and expending resources on another border war. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and if you would like to donate in order to help Venezuelan refugees, go to help.rescue.org slash donate. If you would like to donate to help those around the world affected by the COVID-19 virus, go to www.unicefusa.org. We would like to thank the Keck Center for International and Strategic Studies at Claremont McKenna College for making this podcast possible. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time. Mm-hmm.